You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joined in God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. And so the question for Christians is, can we have dialogue? Can we be a people who model the kind of Christianity that Jesus taught us to embrace? And, and part of my thesis is I'm not sure we always can. Uh, I know we have the power to do so, but I'm not sure we really want to. And sometimes I wonder if it's not just that we really want to, sometimes I wonder if we can even, if we can even imagine it. I think we lack imagination. And what this series has ultimately been about is to try and give very practical tools that are just so incredibly practical, uh, I hope, that it won't be just little tools we apply, but that it'll be something that helps us see we can be different. We can imagine our lives different. We can imagine relationships that are healthy. For those of us who have authorizing narratives, stories in our life that have power and authority over us that doesn't let us see what a healthy relationship with it, that we can actually see that and imagine that, that we can imagine not always having to say what we feel right when we feel it, to, right then. Uh, we can imagine not seeing ourselves in self-deprecating ways. And so the true self, false self, bullhorn helps us see that we can't imagine my life being calm, content, wise, and unafraid. Not always being agitated and and anxious and and, and, and grasping and foolish and afraid. That, that, That I can't imagine my life to be different. What is, let me ask you this. Do you remember what one major thing Yahweh would say to Israel before, after he would give them a teaching? Anytime Yahweh would correct his people, and anytime in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, anytime Yahweh would give, or God would give his people a teaching, do you remember one statement he would always call to them to remember? What would he say? Remember what? Yeah, remember, you were slaves once in Egypt. If you look at that, There are two things that Yahweh's doing every time. If you read Deuteronomy, there's two things he's doing every time. When he gives them a teaching, he says, and because, remember, you were slaves in Egypt once too. What do you think Yahweh was trying to get them to remember in that statement? He'd say, love your neighbors yourself, and remember, you were slaves in Egypt once too. Care for the widow and the poor, and remember, you were slaves in in Egypt too. Care for the immigrant, and remember, you were slaves once in Egypt too. Do good to others, uh, don't steal, have fair business practices, and remember, you were slaves in Egypt once too. What do you think Yahweh's trying to get them to really remember. He's not just saying simply remember that. He's trying to call their imagination up. What do you think Yahweh's trying to do when he makes that statement? Okay, remember that you were the least and last and I took care of you. What else you think he may be doing? Okay, yeah. So, so not only just remember that you were the least and last and I cared for you, but now do something different because of that. And so the law of Moses was designed to form their imagination for them. you got to remember something. When they received the law of Moses, the people of Israel, they were not a nation. They were still nomads. You with me? So they were slaves, and here's nation. They received the law somewhere in between here. So they had to imagine a society that had judges. They had to imagine a society where just was done. They had to imagine a society where righteousness and compassion was it. They had never seen it because they had been slaves for 400 years. Are you following me? So this is all new to them. 
They've never seen it done. And so Yahweh gives them this Torah. He gives them this way of life. And he gives them this way of life in light of remembrance, in the hope that they would form an imagination to where they could envision a different world. Because the world that they had lived in had been everything unlike what they were called to live into. Okay, Christianity is no different. So when Jesus says, the poor in spirit are blessed, but the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They're listening, the poor are listening, and they're thinking, we're not blessed. And it's almost as if Jesus would have said, notice I didn't say the kingdom of Rome is yours. I said the kingdom of heaven is yours. Imagine life like that. And he says, those who mourn are blessed, for they'll be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they'll inherit the earth. The gentle are blessed, Jesus. Do you know Rome? Is there anything gentle? Do the gentle really, really survive? Or is it the powerful Jesus that survive? Because there's nothing gentle about Caesar. There's nothing gentle about the centurion soldiers. Do you see what's happening? The cognitive disconnect here as Jesus is teaching. And Jesus is trying to get his disciples to imagine a different world. Imagine a world where Jesus is Lord. Where the gentle are blessed and the power mongering are punished. Imagine a world where Jesus is Lord, where the rich are not the ones who inherit the earth, but it is the poor. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. Wait a minute. Jesus, don't you know we live in a retributive society where retribution is paid? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of stuff? And Jesus says, yeah, and that's what gets you your society. He says, but the merciful, they will be shown mercy. And this echoes back to, because remember, you were all slaves in Egypt once too. And remember, even though you were delivered time and time again, you enslaved people, yourself Israel, and now you find yourself somewhat enslaved now? It's the merciful who are shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers, the shalom makers, are blessed for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. What do you think they thought when they heard that? <laughs> we are? <laughs> I didn't get the memo. I didn't know we were blessed when we were persecuted, when we were blast, blasted for 
speaking highly of you or for trying to do the right thing. I mean, Jesus, when we try to be merciful in a society where the powerful win, we're just called idiots and pansies. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I'm increasingly convinced that the reason why my faithfulness to the teachings of Jesus waned and waver is because the narrative in which I choose to live a narrative, a story in my society, in my country, in my place and space, in my workspace, right where I am, the narrative that I live in teaches me the opposite of these things. It teaches me that power is exerted and asserted and that love does not, if it's self-giving, will be run over. It teaches me that mercy is not the way to live my life. That retribution is the way. It teaches me that peacemaking should only be pursued if it's possible and not worked for even when it seems as though it's not. I live in a narrative that it teaches me that, that there are things that I must protect and preserve because it is my right or it is my freedom and that I must, let, I must hold on to those things at all costs. I live in a narrative many times that works against this narrative of the Sermon on the Mount. And yet I go to church and I take the bread and the wine. I sing the songs of praise. I hug the, I hug the, 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 the lives of people that I love when I see here. I shake the hands of brothers and sisters. And yet I find myself at odds with culture in my spirit when I hear the teachings of Jesus. And I say, yeah, but... And Jesus is saying, come again? Come again, Fred? And the hope of a series like this, to me, the hope of the bread and wine, my understanding is that God calls His people together into a worship service to form our imaginations. Look around. Just, look, just really, look around for a moment, please. I just want you just to notice something. I mean, even in our service, just, just kind of look at the people sitting here. Now, you can all worship God on a mountain, right? You can take your family and start a church somewhere that, that's very much like yours. Right, and you can control sort of uh, you know, 30 to 50 people and how many people come. 
But how many of you could control Tony being here this morning? Except for his wife. <laughs> She's like, I can. How many of you, how many, we, we, can't, we can't impact that here, see? And so when we gather together with all of our differences, we should take stock in what we see so that we can imagine a different kind of being together in the world, a different kind of being in the world. So when you, the conservative, sits by the liberal, and you, the liberal, sits by the conservative, and you can worship God together, and you can take the bread and wine together, and you can sing the same songs together, and you can pray a prayer in one voice together, what does that teach us? That we can be. That it's possible. And then what can we do with that? Can we leave imagining a different way of being? Can we leave imagining that there's a different way to be the people of God in this world that constantly tries to divide us? Can we leave knowing that there's something that brings us together that the world has no right to tear apart? Can we leave knowing that all of these other differences and views and trying to work it out is just all a reflection of ultimately trying to live under the lordship of Jesus? Jesus will be our king, but he will not be our concierge. He's not looking to give us advice. He's looking to be our Lord. And when we gather together, all of us and all of our differences, we are called to imagine a world where the poor are blessed and the merciful are shown mercy and that they inherit the earth and that the gentle, that self-giving love is the way. That God loved the world so much that He gave His own life to save it and that whoever would believe in Him would forever be with God. That there is no person that God made that He doesn't love more than we could ever fathom. No matter how despicable, evil, or how right or wrong I feel that they may be in their way of being in the world, that there's nobody who's loved less than anyone else. God creates and He loves all people. And so when God so loved the world, He meant all. And that when it's all said and done, when we gather every Sunday together, the power of the gathering is that we come here and we sit around this table and we hold this bread and this cup together. All of us come to the same Lord. And maybe we reflect on the fact that Jesus called in His band of disciples, He called these very different characters of men and He brought them together with all these women later on that followed. And He had sitting at the table with Him at the table, Matthew, and Matthew was a what? He was a tax collector. But then sitting right at the same table with Matthew was a guy named Simon, and Simon was a what? What was a zealot? They killed tax collectors. He was a terrorist. And then sitting at that same table was a man named John, and John was a what? 
Everybody's like, what was John? He was a poet, that too. He was a fisherman. Peter, James, and John. Matthew, Simon. Even sitting at the table with Jesus was a man named Judas, and Judas became what of Jesus? Traitor, an enemy. And so I wonder, for the Christian community, are we capable of imagining a world where Jesus really is Lord? Are we capable of imagining a marriage where Jesus really is the Lord? Are we capable of imagining interactions and dialogues and conversations with other people where Jesus really can be Lord. The Spirit within us is capable. The question is, will we believe that story and live into that story, or will we live into the other stories? Are we capable of imagining that we have been made citizens of a kingdom that will never falter, fail, or flounder. And that all God calls us to is faith. To trust that what He says is true. And to live like that. Are we capable of being that people? I say yes. With the Spirit of God within us, yes. But the hope of this series has been that these little tools would be little bitty ways of empowering us to realize that when Jesus is Lord of our lives, we can look different. But if the world's going to come to know that Jesus is Lord, the people of God are going to have to live as though He is. They need to see what it looks like. And every week we gather, every week we gather, we come around this table and we remember that the walls of hostility that have been built around us have been torn down. And we can, despite the, the shifting sands of society, the shifting sands of the world, we can, as God's people, have our feet firmly planted on the ground. The ground of the cross. And we can, as God's people, in a world where the reign of sin and death seems to deal out nothing more than sin and death, we can, as a people, because we are a people of the cross with our, our feet firmly planted, we can, as a people of resurrection, enter into everyday places with renewed visions of people, with renewed visions of the world, with renewed visions of society, with grace-healed eyes. And we can put our hands and feet to work in a different way and just trust God with the consequences. The bread and the wine becomes the tangible way, the tangible gift that God gives us whereby we hold and we drink and we smell and we taste this new world that God has envisioned for us that is broken into the present that we are called to bear witness to. May we leave every Sunday 
aware of what happened here. That all these people came to one room together for the Jesus. In the name of Jesus. May we leave this gathering every Sunday remembering what happened here. That we were slaves once in our sin too. But God freed us so that we would imagine a freedom for the world and that we would live as though it's coming true. May we leave here every Sunday with a, as a people with a renewed imagination for the vision of God in this world and with reoriented lives for the mission of God in this world.